and um, uh, which is we will uh, amend and give you all a few minutes to talk about uh, the Confederate monuments. I know there's been a lot of discussion there, so we'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. Um, in terms of, uh, I know in terms of pop-ups, uh, you've, you've had something placed at your book in George. There's some conversation that's come up recently about, uh, is it Leicester Avenue? Is that how I was saying? Leicester. Leicester City. Leicester City. <laughs> All right, so um, uh, we want to have a, maybe a, a quick conversation about that. Um, I want to talk to you about the budget process, and we're going to do change the budget process a little bit. Candidly, it, it doesn't mean much for you all in terms of uh, your participation, but it's an opportunity and a process for us to get uh, a much deeper dive into the services that we actually deliver and what those services cost us and what we really call them programs, and um, starting that process fairly early um, having a more inclusive process with the departments, but also having a more inclusive process with the community. So do a lot more in the fall that will then prepare us for the proposal that we'll present in the spring. And so Emily Uselton uh, with the Budget Strategic Planning Office is going to jump up and, um, and walk us through that. Uh, George is going to give us an update or tell us talk to you about the uh, zoning amendment process. Um, I think we'll hold off on the non-standard lot process um, just given the, the time that we've already taken away. Um, in preparation for some conversation about strengthening neighborhoods at the retreat, um, David Freeman's going to stand up and talk about the gem lot process and, and some recommendations we're going to make to you about how we dispose of uh, those properties. And um, uh, then we're going to give you a quick update on where we see the retreat going. And uh, Peter Burek's going to talk to you a little bit about uh, the Lifelong Learning Commission and where we are and some things that will be on your agenda uh, for the 12th. Uh, with that all said, I'm going to take a little bit of uh, manager's license here. And, um, you know, as, as you all put me in the role at the, the sort of the beginning of the summer, uh, gives us an opportunity to start to fill positions and some of the things that have been held open and then start to, to formulate the team. And we'll, we'll make some announcements uh, in the coming days, some things that we're uh, to start to fill that out. But I want to, you always want to take a moment and acknowledge uh, some folks. And uh, one of those is um, uh, Deputy City Manager Steve Hawks, who, who stepped into an interim role. Um, and, and Steve, we're fortunate to have uh, Steve with a 40-year veteran of public service in a lot of different cities. And uh, I can't take any credit for it. Marcus uh, looked over and, and said, hey, I've got it. And all of a sudden, the music stopped and there weren't many people left. And uh, Steve stepped in and the human services portfolio. And uh, I got to tell you, there's not a time that uh, I leave here pretty late at night and, and Steve is, is here more often than he's not and he's done some heavy lifting for us. And just a chance for me in front of you all to, to thank him for uh, the, the time that he stepped in and did some heavy lifting for us. So Steve, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, with that said, Mayor, I think I'm going to flip it to you. Yep. Um, I know you want to have some conversation about the Confederate Monument. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Manager. Um, many of you know that uh, I've asked you to consider a resolution expressing the desire to relocate the Main Street statue honoring Confederate soldiers and requesting the Attorney General to expedite providing an opinion uh, regarding the legality of such a location, a relocation. Uh, so tonight, uh, I will ask that the resolution uh, be adopted and uh, the, re the resolution uh, will is read. You, you should have it at your, at your desk, uh, but I'll just go through it and then we can have comments and questions. Uh, it reads, uh, Mr. Clerk, to have this. And there's already, I distributed yeah. one okay. also, but two is as good as one. Okay. Did, did everybody got them? 
So, um, whereas the uh, monuments erected in an early era in communities throughout the South, including Norfolk, honoring Confederate leaders and soldiers who died in the Civil War, came to offend many and grew to become a source of divisiveness, and whereas Elmwood Cemetery includes graves of white Confederate soldiers who perished in the Civil War, and West Point Cemetery has a monument honoring black Union soldiers who perished in the Civil War, and whereas the city has asked the Attorney General for an opinion to clarify the meaning of those state code provisions relating to the removal of war memorials, and therefore be it resolved by the Council of the City of Norfolk, uh, Section 1, that the City Council desires the Main Street Confederate Monument to be relocated to Elmwood Cemetery as soon as the governing state law clearly permits it. Section 2, uh, that due to the importance of the issue across the state, the number of monuments and the people affected, the Attorney General can make this a request a priority and provide an opinion as soon as uh, reasonably possible. And Section 3, that this resolution shall be in effect from and after its adoption. That is the uh, resolution that I'll ask to be considered. Mr. Manager. All right. Thank you, Mayor. Um, with that Can said, just ask oh, one yes. do we have an estimate of the cost, Mr. Binda, for um, for removal for, for the uh, movement? Yeah, we we do, um, and it's approximate to be about eighty-five thousand dollars per day to mobilize, um, and in the aggregate, it could be as uh, as few as one, but as many as three. But it's uh, until they get into the actual process, it would um, we don't know what there is until we're into it, and so it's just a. The estimate we have is $85,000 a day. Okay. And then, right here, um, what was that number? $85,000 $85, a day. And one to three days possible. Okay. And then I emailed Council uh, resolution that Falls Church had um, voted on, and this is the copy of it. It changes of the City of I don't think a copy's been given to you, um, so this is a copy of it. I just ask that we add this onto the agenda to vote on this tonight. I got that at a BML meeting, and they encouraged us to pass resolutions um, at different councils across the state. Do you want to discuss your resolution? Uh, I thought the only thing is if, if you would read it tonight before we vote on it, I think that would um, send a good message. Yeah, well, I so. haven't seen it, but if you, um, this is my first time seeing it. Okay. If you want to go ahead and if read it. If you guys want to wait till the next meeting, we can. There's no rush on it, but it's a. Yeah. Why don't we do that? Is that pretty right? straightforward resolution. Just. You want, to take a, you want to take a minute just to read it, or you want to? I read it when you sent it. All right. Pretty straightforward. I'm good with it. Is there any way you could post it and have people read it so you don't have to go through it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'd be in favor of doing it then. Okay. Anybody else? Second. Paul, if you want to do it tonight? Oh, whatever the majority. Chair, what was the question you posed? 
Tommy's or the first resolution? No, I, 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 this one that was Tommy's. I thought since we're doing the first resolution, this seems in keeping with that. With the theme. Yeah. You've all and done just one night. Put it to bed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mr. Manager. All right. Thank you, Mayor. So we'll jump it back on uh, to the. Uh, Manager updates. As, as I mentioned, on the Emily Uselton from the Office of uh, Budget and Strategic Planning is going to jump up. Uh, Department head uh, uh, Greg Patrick is on vacation this week, but this is something the department's been been exploring and working on for uh, really a number of months. And as I said, the intent here is to create a um, a deeper dive by department into terms of how we spend money um, and to give a a clear opportunity for the department heads to be involved in the process and for the community to not only be involved but understand the process. So, Emily, thank you. Uh, good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of council. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you about the fiscal year 2019 budget development process improvements. Uh, you may be wondering why we're discussing fiscal year 2019 so early when it seems as though we just adopted the fiscal year 2018 budget just a few months ago. Uh, but the truth is we're really excited about these changes and acknowledge that they'll take plenty of planning and preparation. But before we get into the changes, it's important to recall where we're at. So thanks to your financial policies, the city has had a period of strong and conservative uh, financial management. However, when Greg Patrick spoke with you in February, he noted that the preliminary base budget gap for fiscal year 19 was projected to be about $11.5 million. And we'll provide you an update to that number at council retreat. Um, that gap is certainly larger than recent years, and it's really driven by two primary factors. First is what we've referred to as the new normal, and that is our base revenues are just growing at a slower rate than we've historically seen. And so with that, base revenues just really aren't keeping pace with base expenditures. And when we say base expenditures, we're just talking about maintaining the same level of service next year that we're already providing this year. Um, and then the second key factor is growth in our debt expenditures. So we just must continue paying for the generational capital projects of the past decade. So part of that strong financial management in the past has really been finding efficiencies in the budget. And the reality is we've recognized a lot of that low-hanging fruit. So what that means is we just need to take a step back and rethink how it is we deploy the finite resources that we have. Can I stop you there just for a clarification reason? Just to make sure the public understands the budget years and how they're labeled. So we're in fiscal year 17's budget. Right now we're in 18. 18, 18, 18 budget. Right and that right. 19 is actually voted on in 2018 in May. So that would be the next year's budget. I just want to make sure everyone understands. People understand the July budget. Our fiscal year is July 1, June 3rd. I didn't mean to confuse everybody right. there in the beginning. So we're talking about the 2019 budget, which will be proposed in April and then be effective July of, of that year. So. Okay, so that need for reevaluation really led us to two key principles that underline the forthcoming changes. First, understand what we do and what it costs, and I'll go into more detail on that in a minute. Um, and then second, open up the process so that key stakeholders are involved in the decision making. So that first step of understanding what we do and what it costs really takes the form of a program catalog. Um, certainly, this is a best practice nationally for state and local budgeting. However, we feel the real benefit is for you and for residents. So the final product is a resource that details all the programs the city offers, 
with associated costs. Um, and it offers several benefits. First and foremost is transparency. So it simplifies the ability to demonstrate the services that are being delivered and it improves that communication between administration, council, and residents. Um, it's also a valuable tool when faced with budgetary choices and in, in determining how funds should be distributed. It informs and gives more meaningful comparison for service providers when we're considering options like outsourcing or shared services. Um, and it also informs the discussion around our workforce, how they support the programs that we offer, how we analyze staffing levels, position vacancies, succession planning, all of those things. And then finally, it just provides a better ability to measure performance at that programmatic level rather than just at a department or a division level. So it may seem intuitive, but identifying what is and what isn't a program is actually and can be quite challenging. Um, we plan to work closely with the departments during this identification process. And so here you'll see some examples of what is and what isn't a program. But generally speaking, programs are going to be a set of related tasks or activities. So they're not locations or single events. Slover Library is not a program. Uh, Project Homeless Connect is not a program. But Pothole Repair is a program after-school programming, um, and the like. So implementing the program catalog will require a series of steps, the first of which is identification. And then once they've been identified at the department level, the budget office will assist with some of the cost allocation. So internally, we've developed a program budgeting tool that essentially allows us to allocate cost by position based on how much time an employee spends on various programs. And then it layers in the non-personnel costs um, for supplies, say, across those various programs as well. It also includes revenue allocations. So for certain fee-based programs, it'll help us get a better understanding of cost recovery. Um, ultimately, the departments will be responsible for their final cost allocation, but then we'll help pull it all together at the citywide level. Um, and we anticipate that the process will take us about three months. So the second key principle for budget development was creating a more inclusive process, both externally and internally. So externally with residents and community organizations, and internally with city staff and department leadership. So the Government Finance Officers Association, or GFOA, identifies eight areas for community improvement. We basically distilled that into what we think are three components, educate, learn, and adjust. So we engage the community about the services we provide and how the budget's developed, we understand their priorities through that engagement, and then we integrate it back into the budget. Clearly, there are several benefits to public participation, some of which are listed here. Um, in the end, we're focused on building better relationships between the city and the community and improving our understanding of their priorities. It's really important that residents feel valued in this public participation process. So the best practices outlined here lead to better participation in results. Um, arguably the two most important are buy-in and feedback and evaluation. So buy-in means they feel invested in the outcome and we've successfully engaged a wide representation of the city. Um, what we want to avoid here is residents feeling as though this is just a checkbox exercise. Um, to avoid that requires the feedback and evaluation. So we sort of envision that as a formalized communication to the participants after the process that explains how we're able to reach consensus and then effectively use their feedback in what becomes the proposed budget in the spring. There are several options for public participation, some of which are, again, listed here. 
we're going to focus on two of them for fiscal year 2019. The first is budget workshops. Um, this form of public participation is collaborative. It builds stronger relationships, and it really has mutual benefits. So residents are able to learn about our budget process, voice their opinions. We're able to just listen and then evaluate their view of city priorities. And finally, we're able to leverage the strong civic environment that already exists in the city. The second is interactive web tools. Uh, before recess, you made us all aware of your preference for us to start exploring open budget. Um, the benefits of that web-based tool include public education. Um, and the reality is understanding our budget through a voluminous budget document is complicated. So the goal of this program is pretty simple, and it would be take that same information and put it in a more interactive, visually appealing way so that folks can understand what our resources are and then how we spend taxpayer dollars. And obviously, a, a clear advantage to any web-based tool is just the scale of people that we'd be able to reach. So here you have it. Um, here is our list of public participation events that we plan in 2019. Um, first, we'll have a budget office booth at the Neighborhood Expo coming up in September. And then as requested, we're willing to go out and visit neighborhood task forces and talk about the process more with them. Um, we plan to have one to two public budget workshops and one city staff public uh, budget workshop, and then finally we'll upload that, that proposed budget into a, a web-based tool. One note on the budget workshops, um, we, we've done this exercise in the past where we allow participants to effectively solve for a deficit or a budget gap, um, and we really like it. It, it. It's given us positive results. I think it helps them understand the challenges that we face when, we, when it comes to resource allocation, um, but it also really gives us good insight into how they do solve for that deficit, what's important to them based on on their feedback. Um, and overall, you'll notice a lot of these events, uh, like the manager mentioned, are taking place in the fall, which really gives us plenty of time to integrate it back into that budget that we'll propose in the spring. So in addition to improving community engagement for the budget development process, we also plan to create a more inclusive process internally. So as I mentioned, city staff will be involved in some of these pu public participation events, and then city leadership will also become much more involved in the process. So this year we'll be forming both an operating and a capital budget committee. You'll see the members listed here. And their role really is to advise the city manager on resource allocation. While we're still ironing out the details, in essence, the operating committee uh, will process as follows. They'll have an opening meeting that will just discuss roles and responsibilities. They'll have an opportunity to hear from department leaderships about their program catalog and their existing funding levels. They'll make recommendations on what they think funding levels should be going forward. They'll also be able to hear from departments again on enhancements or program expansions, vehicle needs, IT needs. Um, and then finally, sort of pull it all together in a, in a final review that results in recommendations to the manager. Capital committee is going to function very similar, reviewing and recommending capital project funding. Uh, the tone for this committee is really going to be set at that opening meeting where they talk about debt capacity. Um, as you'll recall from the fiscal year 2018 budget proposal, the five-year capital plan calls for a period of maintenance CIP, which is necessary to stay within the city's self-imposed debt affordability measures. And really, the members of this committee represent a large majority of all the capital projects, so they're certainly the subject matter experts when it comes to prioritization and, and funding. So to recap, um, we're really excited about some of these best practice changes. 
Um, again, they involve transparency through the development of the, the program catalog and a more inclusive process. We think if we, if, we re if we look differently at the way we fund services and we include more people in that process, we'll arrive at what is you know, the highest and best use of taxpayer dollars for 2019. And if I can leave you with one cautionary note, it's that this is our first time developing and implementing such changes, so we don't expect that it will be perfect, but we certainly pledge to continue improving in the future. Any questions? Emily, thank you. Uh, so let me a couple comments and questions on mine. So um, a lot of heavy lifting this year. This is going to be hard on the department heads. So we had a because they have to go through a process and, and create this this program catalog. So we had a, our meeting of department heads, invited constitutional officers to come to that. It's going to be a new process for them. We encouraged appointees to come tonight so they'd all sort of hear this piece uh, as well. Uh, this is really for you all. We're building toward the retreat. So we're here we are. We're, we're coming in the retreat, and you all going to talk about um, your priorities and the things that you think are important. And part of what we're going to get to, what, what I hope you're hearing is, um, you know, our expenses are outpaced, and this is not unique to Norfolk, but in essence, in local government, expenses are outpacing revenues right now. And so if, if you want to bring on something new, a new initiative, a new program, then you got to give up something old. That's just the way it's going to work. And so it's much more, it's, it's difficult to ask you to do that if you don't know what the programs are and what the programs cost. And so that's where we're going. And, and, and just like the, the for you all, it's the same way for the communities um, and the department heads. So I think we'll have a lot of participation uh, and involvement from um, the department heads in this process. But, but I'm excited about it. We're trying not to, not to bite off too much. It'll evolve each year, and we'll have, we think we'll, we'll add some interesting tools uh, that'll allow people to get more and more engaged. So, correct? All right. All right. So um, Dr. Whitman was first, and Mr. Smeagol then was. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm excited that it's starting earlier than, you know, as we've talked about before, we used to have these budget hearings in the spring, and by that time we'd already were deep into the weeds and it was hard to make a change. Um, I can't remember which slide it was, but one of them you're talking about an interactive web page of the proposed budget. So that would be before you all had made the budget? It would be at the, immediately after a proposal. Because... You know, I, I would hope that maybe there also would be an opportunity that people could interactively um, state opinions um, up toward the budget before you all have put something down. And that, that was just one thought I had. Sure. And I had mentioned to Doug, too, just my own biases on this is when we're looking at programs and things that we need to, to engage continue or increase and those that need to go away. I hope this is going to be data-driven. I'm hoping you guys are going to give us results so that all of us can make decisions based on not what feels good, but really has worked in the past. So I know this is your beginning stage, but you know I'm excited about that, that approach. So we'll present a dashboard to you at the retreat, a proposed dashboard. I'll be candid with you. It's a one-pager right now. So it doesn't, it doesn't go as deep. It won't go as deep this year as I hope it'll go next year and, and the next year. But we're, we're going to that same mantra being data-driven. So I have a lot of comments on this, um, but I'm going to try to keep it brief. Um, I always think of one thing that if the city just shut it down or stopped doing it, we would have money. And I always go back to light rail. And I know it's controversial. <laughs> For anybody to say that but it's costing us a lot of cash and you know I don't know what our federal agreement was with keeping that thing operating and how long we have to do it but sometimes we have to make hard decisions too and I know I don't want the headline to be Councilman Spiegel said shut down 
light rail, but I, I, my point in saying that is it is time that not the council members, but that your office is honest with the public about why we're in this situation. And we have danced around it year after year, and there's pretty brochures that come out, but it is really about the debt capacity of the city and what we're paying on that debt from projects from before some of us were even on council um, and build after year after year after year after year and we're paying them off and we're still paying them off. And I think the public knows it, but I think they need to see that and see that this council has taken a new approach to how we're working on these projects and that we've had to limit some of the things that we need. Sure, we'd love to build a new city hall, but we can't do it. And there's you know, no plans of doing that anytime soon. But there used to be a time where somebody would say that and they'd go out and write a check for it and make it happen. It, we just, we have to be honest through this process. And the public appreciates that when you go to civic league meetings and you tell them what the state is of that. Because at the end of the day, they do care about things like why is their water bill going up? Because that's right now on Facebook um, is people getting upset with seeing the increases that have gone into effect on July 1st. There's some increases there. They're, they're, they want to know why potholes aren't getting filled as fast, um, why projects like around City Hall take forever to get done. You know, um, that's, those are the types of things that, you know, but they need to know why we're there. And the, the honest, you talk about transparency, other than some individuals that have gone out, this, the city manager's office has never been completely transparent with the public about that. And I, I'm just being honest and real about it. And that's why we've said put our checkbook, our check register online so that people can see where that money is actually going. Um, and if we didn't have all that debt, that we probably could do a little bit more things that people want in the city. And they're going to question as well. You've brought in an outlet mall, and you're bringing in Ikea, and you've got Waterside done, and you've got the main, and you've got all these things. Shouldn't revenue be going up, and why isn't it? Why, why aren't we seeing that revenue overtaking the debt and things that are there? These, these are conversations that the public needs to know, and it makes our lives easier when we go out and explain it to them of what's going on, some of the things that we've inherited, some of the things we've caused, but they, they need to know that. This exercise has been done before. Um, about four or five, I think when Marcus first came on, there was a huge engagement with the public on asking them where they thought they could get money from, what would they be willing to give up. So there, and it was, and it was, it was a good process, but it was very limited on who was involved in that, um, because it was only advertised really the Civic League presidents and people that were already engaged in Norfolk. We have to find out a way to get the people who were on Facebook complaining about their water bills going up uh, and uh, are complaining about these potholes engaged and involved in this so that they have a better understanding uh, of this. They don't, most people don't understand that we really don't get a lot of money even if we raise taxes. So, you know, that you only get $1.9 million for a penny or 1.8. It's not a huge amount of money um, with it. And we need to also be honest with the public about state cuts and what that has done with our budget. The more, I, I have no problem passing the buck onto state legislators on a lot of the reasons why localities are suffering with that. And we hope some of that will get repaired. Uh, you know, I was at VML and there was conversation about doing uh, less harm to localities um, in future budgets. But we, we, we just, the, I'm not saying we were purposely dishonest. We just weren't telling everybody 
100% of what was there. It's very pretty and sugar. I think you've got to show the ugly. Um, and the, the public needs to see that ugly in, in order for us to move forward. I don't know if anybody else agrees with me, but that's just my no, so. opinion on it. So we'll and I start. I think we need to make the, have those hard questions. And one of them is HRT and all of them. And uh, whether there are options to what we're doing now. I, I would agree on that. And maybe we limit things until um, future expansion goes. Uh, but uh, we, need to, we need to get the ugly out too. This is this balance we keep talking about that we're going to have of, of how are you, how can you be bold and, and transformational, which we're going to be, and still be fiscally responsible. And that's it. And the way I think you get there is you know just what you, you know the information and you make choices about where we're spending people's money. So we'll start the retreat. I'll talk to you in a minute about the retreat, but we'll start the retreat with a, a year-end uh, look and a and a uh, and a look forward in terms of the, the fiscal outlook. So we'll start to get to where you want to be. I think. All right, Mr. Thomas. Just very briefly, um, good presentation. I'm glad that we're taking a different angle, different approach to our budget, um, and I think it's smart what you proposed. Uh, I'll ask, keep us informed on the budget workshop dates uh, as soon as you know them, so that we can try to uh, put them on our calendars. And kudos on the interactive web tool. It's, it's the direction we need to be going as well. Thank you. We're lucky that the tools are getting more and more sophisticated, and frankly, less and less expensive. Okay. That's good, Ms. Johnson. I just want to say thank you, Mr. Manager, thank you. Um, for the last two years, I've been saying we really need to take a look at our programs and where our money is, is going because I do see uh, imbalance with the, the programs that we're offering in Norfolk and the amount of money that we're, whether they're considered programs and they're really not programs, we're putting a lot of money um, into what we consider programs. Um, and now that we're here at this point, because um, the citizens really need to understand the new governing body here, we're trying to make up for decisions that were made prior to us getting here, along with uh, being able to run the city differently as we promised the citizens that we would do. And I think that this is a, a great way of doing it and getting them really involved with those workshops so that they have an understanding. It is um, difficult decisions that we have to make um, as far as running the, the city. And we have to be very honest with them and not give them parts of what um, Mr. Smeagol, I know I do, going out to civic leagues and really having to explain um, why we're at the point that we are here in the city of Norfolk. It's not just right now, it's prior to, and us catching up to where we actually need to be. So thank you, um, city manager. Mr. Riddick, do you have any? I'm fine, thank you. Smith. All right, Emily, thank you. Well done. May I comment? Yes, Ms. Graves. Um, I just want to say thank you too for um, engaging in this exercise. I know that when Marcus first started, I go back to what Tommy said, um, uh, we did do these. I want to also encourage um, us to do something um, in going back to the employees that work for the city of Norfolk um, and asking them their opinions on things that we can, um, on how we can best um, utilize our funds and how we can save money. Um, you know, we, we 
can't, there are some things we can do and there are some things we can't do because we're a city government, but I think that the people who work in city government, excuse me, are best, are, are some of our best advocates as well as they're some of our best informants on how we can do things differently um, to save money um, down the, in, in the long run. And um, the other thing that I would just like to caution, I remember last year, you know, when a lot of things came up, and it was like, oh, we'll talk about it at the retreat. Oh, we'll talk about it at the retreat. Oh, we'll talk about it at the retreat. And we, like, overloaded the retreat. So I hope that as we're talking about topics for the retreat, that we will um, give an adequate amount of time for the topics to be discussed so that we don't feel rushed and we're able to work through um, the big picture issues or the big picture items and then work on the other things, you know, a chunk at a time. All right. Thank so you. We'll throw the draft uh, retreat agenda up in a few minutes and uh, let y'all beat that up some. Um, so uh, George is going to come up and do a piece on the zoning amendment process, and I think why, when you get done, maybe we talk about Lester Avenue. It sounded like there were some questions about Lester Avenue, so I'm sure we have. Um, Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so uh, we had talked about doing a um, joint public hearing in October with Planning Commission and City Council on the, the zoning ordinance. And part of what I want to talk about tonight is we've, we, we've decided that that's not a good idea. It's really not fair to you all um, because it doesn't allow the Planning Commission the opportunity to do the heavy lifting. Um, that you all have come to um, expect and, and the, the planning commission has been doing for you all. Hey, George, you have, um, Mrs. Graves is on the phone, so um, can you, will your pointer work from here? Well, the problem so. is you lose him on TV. I don't know if there's any uh, chance of okay. getting all right, uh, Angela, speak up. Speak up. To, Okay, just speak up, George. Sorry. <laughs> you know, nobody's <laughs> ever, ever, ever accused me before of talking too softly. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so at any rate, really, and I'm going to go through this as quickly as I can. Um, and uh, essentially, this is talking about where we've been, where we are, and, and where we're going. Um, so, as you all know, the, the, we've been underway since uh, 2014 um, on rewriting the zoning ordinance. Um, it's the first time we've done this since 1992. Uh, we've already had 100 meetings, uh, public meetings, um, 23 presentations to outside groups, including Hurrah and TBA. Um, we've had, we have over 350 individuals who've participated in at least one meeting. Um, and it really is, we're at the end game. It's time to wrap it up. Um, and we want to focus on having an, uh, the, the new ordinance adopted in uh, early 2018. So there's really three remaining tasks, and the trajectory here is that, you know, we need to finish the outreach process. Um, we need to then the planning commission needs to have its public hearing, and then finally, um, city council public hearing needs to occur. Part of what's driving some of the way we're thinking is the public notice requirements that are contained in the the code of Virginia. Um, they are extensive, um, and so part of the the calculus that we have gone through. Um, with the, the help of the city attorney's office is developing a strategy um, to provide um, an appropriate level of notice to the citizens and an appropriate and, and appropriate opportunities for them to participate um, without tripping over um, some of the, the, the landmines that are in the code that require um, an even more extensive notification process. 
Um, some of this we think can be handled by parsing um, and making some decisions after the main body of the ordinance so that we focus on specific topics rather than wrapping everything together in a, a single comprehensive ordinance. Um, might I have liked to have done everything comprehensively? Yeah, probably, but the more we think about it, some of these are, are issues that probably would do well being talked about individually um, and being focused on individually rather than being mm -hmm. lost um, in an overall context. So um, just to make sure everyone knows, we are not going to do any residential down zonings um, and we are not going to do any zoning map changes. We are going to change the names of zoning districts, but what we're going to do is we're going to do a direct translation to from the, the current district to the new district. So, for example, um, current R1 and R2 will become um, what we call um, SF2 or single family 2 um, in the, the new uh, ordinance. So we'll do that as a table. Um, and so it changes the names of districts, but it's not going to remap um, anything. Um, so outreach. Outreach to us is really, really important. I mentioned we've already had over 100 public meetings. Um, we want to have, have more. Our proposal is to do a postcard notification. This is not final, but I want to pass out to you all a mock-up of what um, the postcard would look like. In addition to mailing out a postcard to um, essentially 60,000 addresses um, in the city, um, uh, Nikki and the, the folks from um, Marketing Communications are working with us on a social media blitz. Um, and the entire focus for the month of, uh, the, the month of September really is uh, what we call everybody's favorite radio station, WIIFM, which is otherwise known as What's In It For Me. Um, and so that's what we want to focus on, is how is this ordinance going to impact um, the citizens um, and the property owners um, of the city? By and large, if, you know, it's not going to have a great deal of, of impact, and most of the people are going to be impacted, we believe, are going to be, feel like they're being impacted in a positive way. So we've got online methods, we have email. Um, we will have a bunch of in-person opportunities, including extended office hours um, here in City Hall, um, up at the Wellness Center, and out at Pretlow. So we're trying to cover the, the, the range of the city there. Um, and then, obviously, people can come to our offices at any time. Then we want to do three open houses, um, one at Scope, one at Norview. Um, and then the, the third one is really just prior to the, the public hearing that, that's going to um, happen at, at Slover. Now, one of the questions that continues to come up is, why do we have so many things downtown? Well, downtown happens to have the places with large spaces um, and lots of parking. And that's really our experience when we did the floodplain thing. We did it at um, Crossroads, and quite frankly, the parking was insufficient. Um, the building was insufficient. We could, we could not manage the throughput of the people who came. Um, and that's really important to us that we want people who come to actually be served um, and be heard. And that's, um, that's why we've picked Slover. That's why we've picked um, Scope. And that's why we picked Norview. Um, so, but we are also going out, and we have been out to every part of this, this city. We've been to Southside. We've been to Ocean View. Um, we've been everywhere that, that 
um, every, every corner of the city um, already. So I, I think we feel like we've done a pretty comprehensive job of geographically of, of covering the city. And as many of you have reminded me, we are one city. Um, so um, so after, the no, after the outreach, Planning Commission. Planning Commission, we're proposing um, Tuesday, October 17th. It's a Tuesday night for Planning Commission, which is a, a meeting that they normally don't have. It, the only topic that night will be the zoning ordinance. It would be at Slover. Um, what we're proposing is a non-traditional public hearing that is rather than a podium and a microphone and a parade of people, uh, we're going to divide the room into small groups and have small group conversations uh, led by planning commissioners. Planning commissioners would then do a, a report out at the end of that, capturing all the information. And then finally, if there was anything that wasn't captured, um, folks could come to the, to the microphone and, and um, indicate that. Um, we'll have an open house prior to that. Um, and um, once that's done, the Planning Commission will close its public hearing and probably have um, at least two workshops um, before making a recommendation to y'all. When it comes to y'all, we are asking because we'd like to send out the, note, the part of the notice that has your public hearing on it. We're asking y'all to consider committing to having the public hearing on this item um, at your Tuesday, January 23rd, 2018 um, meeting. Um, we'd also suggest a possible work session with y'all ahead of time. Um, if that doesn't work, obviously we can do a work session um, afterwards um, or do, a, do one before and one after or however, whatever it is that you all need, uh, we stand ready to, to do. Um, we suggest again that you close the public hearing on, on the 23rd so the conversation thereafter um, can occur without having to re-advertise. Uh, the re-advertising thing is a, is a big deal. Um, just the postcards alone um, is about $30,000 worth of, of advertising. Um, and then it's probably um, close to 50000 is what we estimate the cost of running the ads in the, the pilot will be. So we'd like to, um, to, to make sure we, we advertise once for the Planning Commission and once for, for Council, do the postcard, um, you know, advertising both together. So that's the, the schedule in graphic form. Um, starts starting today, um, ending sometime around 23rd of January. Um, a lot of heavy lifting to be done be on this topic between now and then, um, but we believe it can be done. Um, and our request to you all is, is the, to, to agree to the 23rd. Um, once we advertise it, we'd really, really like to hold to that. Um, so, Mr. Mayor, I'm, I'm that's, that's that one. Thank you. Mr. Thomas. Two, two things. Uh, every once in a while, George and I disagree on the planning issue. And on this one, uh, as, as George and I have discussed, I, I, I'm disappointed that we're going to break it down into several components. Uh, I understand that it's primarily because of state law requiring uh, an onerous amount of advertising and expensive advertising. Um, I, I'm still of the thought that we've worked so hard, we've come so far, uh, the bit of extra money to advertise it and do it all as one unit is probably better uh, than breaking it up. But uh, my understanding is that you and your staff uh, have, have, are okay with breaking in components and, in fact, uh, are now in favor of that over uh, all in one. So I'll, I'll concede to you on that one. And the other thing I'd like to bring up is for anyone watching, there are going to be three community open houses, uh, Scope on Wednesday, October 4th, Norview High, Wednesday, October 11th, Slover, Slover Library, Tuesday, October 17th. 
So please show up. This is your opportunity to provide input into this new zoning ordinance. Mr. Spiegel, so the open house that's at Slover, I'm going to take some of your words and use them against you about right. convenience of parking. And also, it's it's almost like a a fee to go to a public meeting, and I I, I understand the need for it. And and Slover's not big, either, uh, compared to like Lake Taylor High School, which has a huge amount of parking. Um, I I everything's fine except for I'm a little bit bothered with that October 18th date um, of Slover. I think that that's highly if that's where the planning commissioners are all going to be there, I think that's highly inconvenienced inconvenient for um, an average citizen to try to get down and speak to that. Plus, we know there's no parking in downtown anymore because we sold all the spaces to everybody who lives downtown. So um, I, I just I don't know if there's a way to put that at another place or something that is a better location, like the Norfolk Wellness and Fitness Center has plenty of parking, plenty of room space. Maybe we could look at Granby High. Granby High. That would be my only one that would be. Did you look at the high school? I know you're obviously going to Norview. Did you look at uh, Lake Taylor or Granby? Um, for the, the public hearing, no, we did not. We looked at Slover. We looked at a place where the facilities were there to televise the meeting. Um, and, you know, it, was, it really came down to either the sixth floor of Slover or um, upstairs. And we wanted to try to do a non traditional public hearing, so that's why we. we Settled on Slover. Is that a public um, hearing or an open house? It is an open house from four to six, and the public hearing from six to whenever it's done. Okay, it's not on here. That's what. Am I missing that? I think you're better off having it here then. Okay. For parking. All right. If that's if those are the only places that are televisable, is that a word? Televisable. Yeah, because it's tonight. It just says Planning Commission open house. October 18th from 4 to 6. It doesn't say um, public public hearing on that. Am I missing? Yeah, the, the public hearings are, are on the front side. So. Oh, okay, gotcha. So that says the 17th. Norfolk City Planning Commission will hold a public hearing on the 17th, but this says the open house is on the 18th. Was that a distant date that, change? That is, okay. no, that, that That's is why it says a, draft. That's I know, no, I know that. I that, just, that was what we refer to as a Scribner's error. And it might, you know, this might actually be a really okay, good There's a big error on it. You used Lenny's picture on it, so it's a huge error. <laughs> you know, this might really be a time so, to point out that when the ordinance is adopted, we will probably, in the first six months, find a bunch of that kind of, of little error that has to be corrected. So we will be bringing back to you all relatively soon after adoption a package of correcting all those little things that we thought we had corrected and, and missed. So there will be those sorts of things that will happen anytime you do a new ordinance like this, we'll have that. So George, when we uh, do our public hearings for uh, our budget at Granby, we televise. We take the technology and we take the equipment with us. So if the goal is to uh, get out in the community and Granby and the Dr. Wigley mentioned Granby and other high schools, Lake Taylor, Tommy mentioned Lake Taylor. Uh, I think that the technology exists uh, because we have done it over the years uh, for our budget hearings at Granby High School. May I make a suggestion? Yes, go ahead, Ms. Graves. Speak up, will you, Angela? Um, what, about, <laughs> what about the um, first floor of the City Hall building? I mean, 
mean, we control that parking garage so people don't have to pay to park. There's plenty of room. I mean, it, it spans from one end to the next. And we could have in the in the open lobby area could be the seating. And then in the little narrower hallway could be the breakout area. And you could bring the technology from the 11th floor or 10th floor right down to the first floor. I mean, we hosted it for um, one of the neighborhood um, um, the, the, the neighborhood awards ceremony, and there were a lot of people there. I mean, that might work as well if you want to do something that's non-traditional, but to do it where um, we can house a lot of folks as well as do the breakout sessions and get the parking. I agree with Mark. Um, the Slover is a great place. Uh, That's right. I have fond That's memories true. of it, yeah. but it is so not we'll convenient. So we pick one of the schools. Giving you credit. We'll work on it, will And all those kinds. All right, thank you, Angela. All right, Mr. Smith. All right. So uh, while George is here, I know in, in just some sidebar conversations, I heard some questions about Lester Avenue that's on your agenda tonight. It, it looks like y'all got something from the developer. Have you got questions for George while he's here? Could you break it down into like a couple bullets as opposed to what he gave us? And you gave us a really extensive response, but there was a lot of background information in it. But is there He's presenting to us that it's the Navy is comfortable with this. To, to, with this with this rezoning request, there were two issues. One um, was the fact that the proposed lots are going to be narrower than is within the character of that neighborhood. Um, and then second was the presence of um, an APZ zone across the rear of the parcels. Um, by recording the the restrictive easement. Um, I'm not an attorney. Um, I showed it to, to Adam. He thinks that it makes, that, that it does satisfy the, the city's concerns about keeping any kind of development out of the APZ. Or, so or that, that it could be made to work for us. Right. The other issue is that the, the proposed size of the lots is narrower than is um, the predominant pattern in the neighborhood. It's narrower than the comprehensive plan. Um, and that's the reason why staff recommend to not. How, how much? Uh, about, they, they would work out to be about four foot each narrower, so not even 10%. So they're 46 foot? For about 46 feet. Instead of 50? <laughs> so are we going four lots to four lots? No, it's going four houses to four lots. So there's four okay. houses on this existing piece of property. Um, they're all non-conforming, um, but there, there's four houses. So it's going four houses on a single lot to four individual lots. And they're also non-conforming. If the if the rezoning were to occur as as has been requested, they would not be non-conforming. <coughs> It would be conforming right. if, if you grant the rezoning uh, request. And the neighborhood's okay. <coughs> the neighborhood said yes to it. We, we never heard a, a word no of, opposition. of no, there was a concern out of the neighborhood. And, and without the rezoning, the four individuals couldn't come forward. Could. But, but the, the Navy is on record. The rezoning yeah. is not. All right. The, the Navy's not really on record of anything at this the point with the, the um, they, they have sort of said if there was an easement kind of sort of that met those needs, that would probably satisfy. I mean, it was lots of, of words that, that 
they're filled with caveats. Um, right. There's no real definitive statement that this is okay. The one letter from the Navy dated June 21st. Los Angeles is if the applicant does agree in writing to build the four residential units on their respective lots outside of the APZ2, we have no comment on the application. So it's it is being built outside of the yeah yeah because of the, the restriction. Right, me. So then the Navy has no objection. Has no objection to it. Okay. All right, Mr. Smith. What's the name? Uh, David Freeman is good. I'm, I'm sorry. I, has Stephen Jones you. seen this? Okay, you're back. Has he, has he reviewed it? I think well, we, it sounds like a little bit of egg on our face after the last time this happened with the APZ. It'd be nice to know exactly oh, whether we're on the right or the wrong side. He's the liaison for the military. Yeah. But it looks like this is pretty current because the letter was dated June 21st. And the developer had submitted the plans prior to this letter. Mr. So, Captain out, Beaver, so, yeah. would you chime in? Do you have exactly right, Councilor That was the last correspondence from the Navy. They weren't prepared to comment on anything else unless there was another offer. So they were not in receipt of another uh, offer, so those comments stand. Okay. That, that means they haven't seen this new updated flat and mentioned all. The new updated? This, I hadn't seen or heard of this until today when I got here. No, they, they did see this because they their last set of comments in June was based off of the last recommendations from the no, developer. No, they, they, this was a conversation that was ongoing between the developer and the Navy. To my knowledge, nobody at, at Naval Station Office has seen the, the restricted covenant now that it's been reported. Would that change their opinion on it? That actually makes it better for them with the restricted covenant because then it's not being developed. Right. So let me ask a question. Is, it, is this time sensitive? From the developer's standpoint, I'll ask George. I, I would want the Navy to weigh in, Ken. Yeah, is this time sensitive? George, is this not, time? Not All right, so let's continue until September 12th. Okay. All right. Uh, so David Freeman is going to give you uh, some information on the uh, Gemlock process and how to, uh, this process will factor into our upcoming conversation on strengthening neighborhoods at Jimmy Tree. Thank you, Mr. Manager. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of council, Mr. City Manager. Uh, as you're aware, the real estate market is becoming red hot again. And so uh, the timing of this uh, discussion on the policy and process of the disposition yes. of gym lots couldn't be more timely. Uh, the city council priorities of housing, public safety, and education are driving staff decisions on how to use city-owned land to strengthen neighborhoods. City-owned property is one important tool in the larger toolbox that also includes programs that help residents buy homes. <clears throat> this is just the uh, presentation overview. I won't take the time to read each one of these here because we're going to cover each one of them in a little more, more detail, uh, although I'm going to try to go through this presentation uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, the purpose of this presentation is provide an overview of the gym policy and outline steps moving forward. Oh, and technology. All right. Okay, so what is the gym parcel? Uh, so 
a gem parcel, the, the word gem is really not an acronym. It really has a meaning, a connotation for basically a, a, a stone in the rough, something that you can polish and it turns into something precious. Uh, and that was a connotation that was uh, taken up in the early 2000s. So uh, essentially it's a, uh, it has enabling legislation in the state code. It's 58, um, state code section, uh, Code of Virginia 58.1, 39.70.1. Uh, but basically, uh, these are the critical areas that are referenced in that code section. It's a city property that has been acquired that has nuisance abatement liens and delinquent tax liens. It's assessed at 50000 or less, has delinquent tax and taxes exceeding 25% of the assessment and or the sum of the delinquent taxes and liens exceed 50% of the assessed value. Now, again, I'll go back and tell you that you won't see Jim in that state code section. So, uh, so don't try to look for that Jim code section. You won't find it. Uh, some of the program objectives of the Jim program uh, is we want to, first and foremost, we want to uh, recover any delinquent taxes and nuisance abatement costs to which the city is entitled to recoup. So we spent money out of the general fund, and we want to make sure we get that money right off the top. There's also other things that I think we tried to accomplish as well uh, while we have uh, possession of the properties to reduce the number of non-conforming properties throughout the city. That's always a great thing. Increase single-family housing. Uh, enhance the safety and quality of neighborhoods by ensuring that properties are properly maintained. And reduce the number of abandoned properties and make them tax-generating properties once again. I'll also add that while we have these properties, and it's a good re it's good that we're there, we're um, pushing these properties back out and selling them is that the city has to incur costs on these properties uh, through our general fund. We have to keep the grass cut. We have to sell <coughs> inoperable vehicles, remove tires. So any type of code enforcement issue can occur on these properties. So to, if we can turn these back onto the tax rolls, uh, that's always a great thing. Uh, the properties fall into one of the three gym lot categories. And I'm going to talk about each one of these in a lot more detail. Uh, the first one here is a non-billable side lot. Uh, essentially, provides side lot yard side side yards to the adjacent uh, property owner. And so, uh, when we first embarked upon the gym program many years ago, we we pushed out a lot of these, and it was a significant effort uh, to uh, to uh, put these back on the tax rolls and into the hands of private property owners. The uh, combined lot development, which is suitable for new residential development, if combined with a vacant lot that's adjacent to it. And then it's a single lot development, essentially provides for a new residential development without any necessity of combining an adjacent lot, essentially buildable lot in and of itself. Uh, going in a little more detail, non-buildable side lots are offered to adjacent property owners for the use of side yards. That was very, very popular. And I think we've pretty much almost exhausted that list um, years ago, uh, we may have a couple of them still remaining. Um, so the offer is always there if we still have a few. Uh, we also have combined lots, as I mentioned before, may be disposed of as follows on a non-competitive sale, meaning that they're sold to adjacent property owners uh, without the necessity of a bid upon payment of the fair market value. And you'll probably hear that statement quite often. I know the attorney's office wants to make sure I drive that home. But fair market value means that it's either the current assessment that's on our records, the city's records, or it's an appraisal through uh, the certified MIA appraiser. Uh, there's also <coughs> competitive invitation for bids. 
uh, in the event that the gym lot is located between two vacant lots and the owner of each vacant lot desires to purchase the gym lot? It's a good way to resolve uh, uh, competition there. Uh, there's also the donation to a charitable institution upon the recommendation of the city manager a gym lot may be donated to a charitable institution and that's uh, subject to the limitations and after exhaustive attempts to sell the property at fair market value uh, and then there's single lot de uh, development uh, again these single lots are the lots that are buildable in their own right uh, may be disposed of as follows non-competitive sale a gym lot may be sold to a qualifying builder or developer upon the current assessment or MIA appraisal and subject to terms and conditions acceptable by the city uh, yes that includes some sort of design review uh, yes all, uh, all of these have to go through that and one of the things I want to make sure that we're clear on is that uh, we work very very closely with planning so while we have these if they're buildable, we want to make sure we get the product that we really want and desire. Thank you. Uh, through a competitive invitation for bids, bids may be invited from qualified builders, um, and uh, that would be pretty much analogous to uh, our invitation for bid like we do at parking and so forth, um, if somebody wants parking spaces. Uh, Donation to a charitable institution upon the recommendation of the city manager. A gym lot may be donated to a charitable institution. Again, I'll say subject to the legal limitations and after an exhaustive attempts to sell for fair market value. Uh, upon the sale of a gym lot, the city is entitled to recover delinquent taxes, liens, and administrative costs. And uh, so I want to make sure it was very, very clear that we have possession of these properties, but our intent is to make sure that we get we make ourselves whole but if there's anything above and beyond that then we have to make sure that uh, it's provided to the court and uh, it'll revert back to the city two years later uh, provided that nobody comes and claims the uh, uh, makes a claim on that uh, uh, surplus of money just to give you an idea of uh, two uh, disposition activities uh, or categories uh, related to gym properties David, I'm going to ask you, these next three or four go pretty quick. Okay. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so there's the things that we can do here, basically all the gym properties, when we uh, dispose of them, uh, public-wise, we can use uh, properties as a pump station, or they could be used to support wetlands. Uh, on the private side, we can convey them, whether somebody's going to build a house on them or whether it's going to be side lot for development. These next three properties, basically just the before and after and kind of just gives you some numbers and you can flip through them at your own leisure if you will but uh, we're trying to recoup ourselves and, and turn back out properties that help neighborhoods and put them back on the tax roll um, this gives an idea of the folks that have been involved with the uh, review of the gym policies and procedures so it's a cross-the-board um, activity and then uh, moving forward there uh, we want to make sure that uh, that we're aligning with uh, neighborhood building neighborhood philosophy and uh, and many of the other things that we have listed here I will note here at the bottom part that all gym lots uh, will be vetted through the development action team we got a chance to go over a lot more detail than what we've talked about here today uh, everything from land use to, uh, whether we need a pump station on the property or uh, any planning or land use issues that need to be sorted out or any legal issues so uh, our uh, next step, uh, we've already done the first one here, and that's to present to the council and let you guys know what's going on there. And uh, 
you can kind of uh, read along on the next three bullets here, but I will add that it would also include faster movement on multiple lot sales. It's one of the things we want to achieve with this as well. So with that said, I'll be more than happy to entertain any questions on the gym program and the disposition. All right, Ms. Johnson. I just want to say one thank you so very much that it has to go through the design review board. This is way better than what we initially had in place dealing with um, Jim Lots number two. I'm very happy to, to see that it becomes a part of our tax roll because it was a part of a huge discussion at VML and Virginia for cities, how cities are not capitalizing on these gym lots um, to bring in revenue. So thank you very much. Okay. All right, so as Peter Burek jumps up, I'll wrap this up. Um, we are, we think this is an important part of strengthening neighborhoods. And part of what we're also trying to get to is our process, and it can take six months to dispose of one of these, and that's that's too long. So we're going to get that piece going a little bit quicker. Peter's going to give you, uh, I'm going to challenge you a little bit, Peter. One of the commitments I've made is to try and get us out of here as close to quarter to seven to give everybody a little bit of time as, as we can. Lifelong learning is going to come before you. Remember we talked about this a lot at the retreat, uh, follow-up in the, uh, the spring meeting. We've, we've started to frame up what that's going to look like and who's going to be on that commission. So at your next meeting, you'll actually um, have something to vote on, and Peter Burek with uh, Budget and Strategic Planning is going to walk you through that. Mr. Manager, I'm up to the challenge. I can do this quickly and You're just hit the man. highlights. Uh, overview of the of the items that I, I plan to uh, discuss today. A, a little bit of this is a, a review of the, the items I spoke about um, back in June. So, uh, several members of council were not uh, here for that meeting, so the intent is to, to bring those up again as a reminder, and if there's any discussion, either here or in a, in a separate form of that. Um, thinking about in a visual way, lifelong learning and a framework for that, acknowledging that learning happens in a lot of places, not only in, in the school setting, in the workplace, at home, in our communities. And there's a lot of attributes to quality learning in a community and enablers that uh, facilitate that. So this is kind of a framework that uh, we're proposing we adopt based on some best practices uh, the United Nations has put together on developing a learning city, those cities that want to make learning a priority in their community. Uh, the purpose statement uh, um, is the same as last time with a, a little bit of tweaking at the end to um, add um, some language about um, that we've heard from um, Mr. Smith about a creative, connected, and collaborative city. I feel like um, we feel like learning can foster a creative, uh, connected, and collaborative city, so we want to add that uh, and acknowledge that. Uh, here's the meat of what I want to talk about tonight. As of tonight, we have 10 confirmed commissioners that bring a wealth of uh, learning-related knowledge, experience, and enthusiasm to the table uh, to participate in this, and we're looking forward to working with them um, when we get started next month. Our approach remains the same. We're going to be ever mindful here that any of the recommendations that the uh, commission develops and presents um, are complementary, additive to anything related uh, to the Poverty Commission uh, and the great work there, and, and not duplicative. Our milestones, we will um, start with an organizational meeting at the end of September. Uh, tried to schedule these to not conflict with uh, the known council commitments uh, the first, second, and fourth weeks of the month. Uh, this is all pending availability of the commissioners and the chair, so we'll, we'll adjust. Uh, we'll, once we um, build consensus on the focus areas, I mean, learning can be a big, nebulous topic, and so one of the first, top, uh, first tasks is going to be to scope that down to a couple focus areas that we can tackle in the, the year's time and that we feel um, can affect change and have impact in the city. 
Uh, we'll move into focus area meetings in the fall and then in developing and presenting initial findings, uh, both to you here and then in, in town hall settings to get feedback from residents and uh, flush those out in a more formal integrated way in the spring and come back to you next summer um, with, a, with a final presentation and a report akin to what you uh, saw from the Poverty Commission related to lifelong learning. Uh, going forward, uh, on the docket for the 12th will be uh, a resolution formally establishing the commission and appointing the commissioners listed uh, here. And again, we're planning on a 28th of September um, first organizational meeting, meeting pending availability of the group to uh, hash out focus areas, group assignments, and, and moving forward. Uh, Suzanne Perrier could not be here last minute this evening, but she uh, is still the facilitator for this effort. And I will be coordinating uh, a lot of the moving parts and uh, getting resources to help support the commission uh, in all aspects of this. That's what I have. All right. If no questions on that, I'm going to ask uh, Kim to throw up the slide, Peter. Thank you, Peter, on the retreat, uh, which is just to start to frame up uh, broad topics for you and tell you what we're starting to look like. So 18th and 19th of September will be your, your retreat. Um, we're looking at uh, the Attics Theater. We haven't nailed that down, but we want to um, take a hard look at that as a, as a possible location. And, we'll, and, it, and, and part of what we're wanting to give you all is a chance, if, this, if there's something you're expecting to talk about that's not on here, if you'll let me know in, in the coming days or during our one-on-one -on -one meetings. But as I said earlier, we'll start with that sort of fiscal piece of, of a, a look at uh, how we're finishing up the year and what the outlook is going forward talk a little bit more about this whole budget development process and engagement that Emily gave you um, uh, some insight into today. Uh, we need to um, uh, bring, we'll bring you a straw man on our legislative package for the, for the uh, General Assembly. Uh, we've, uh, we've talked at different times. Obviously, the, the conversation around the Confederate monument is um, pretty fluid. Uh, so uh, the, when we frame this up, we talked about that maybe at the retreat, although obviously we're having some conversation tonight. Heard a lot from you all at different meetings about code enforcement and do we change the from uh, really a citizen complaint driven to maybe a pro, more proactive process. And that's probably the best example of a um, if this, then what do you give up kind of conversation. So we can, we can talk about that, but I just want y'all as we're having these conversations, if we add something, something's got to, in all likelihood, something's got to give. Uh, a lot of conversation around this table about animal care and, and what that looks like in Norfolk, so we'll have some conversation there. Um, we'll do a little team building and dinner and uh, maybe a trust fall with Martin or something like that. Um, Who's doing uh, the falling? Doing the <laughs> that's right. <laughs> afraid I'll be doing the falling. Um, so that's the 18th. And then Tuesday, we'll get into the conversation around strengthening. We want to talk about strengthening neighborhoods. Uh, we're starting to have some more dialogue um, about the uh, school funding formula and tell you where we think that seems to be heading. Uh, to Dr. Wibley's point of um, starting to use data and metrics, and we've got a dashboard that we want to share with you that, that we think are the things, frankly, that you can hold me accountable for. These are the kind of the big issues and, um, and, and the, the, the numbers that go with those issues and, and make sure that um, those are the things that you really think are the, are the right ones to be measuring our work. And with that sort of build to starting to refine a little bit um, your vision and your priorities. So we've got uh, housing and education and safety, which has been great and been a driver, but can we go a little bit deeper on what that really starts to look like? And that'll probably be the afternoon of, of the second day. None of this is etched in stone. So it's a chance for you all to, to see it a month out and, and um, tweak it, um, you know, as we, as we have our one-on-one -on -one conversations uh, uh, leading up to it. Excuse me, please. Um, we talk about codes every retreat. 
Talk about whatever you're treating. Code. Code, okay. Whatever you're treating. Okay. And that's great because we need to. Okay. But the last discussion we had, we all agreed that somebody needed to sit down with our judges and get solicit some help from them. Right. Have we done that? Um, we, we have not. And, um, Is there a reason we don't do that? Yes. Uh, we're prohibited from ex parte meetings with judges. So, so what about us? Can we talk to them? Who can talk to them? Um, you can talk to them, but trying to persuade them to, to a point of view it, it, it is not something they're permitted to do. Can you help me here? But we can ask them what laws they need to help strengthen enforcement <laughs> yeah, in their courtrooms. Yeah, yes, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take no for an answer on this, Bernard. There's got to be a solution. There's got to be a way we can work together on this, and for them to understand how they are limiting us in our enforcement of this. I mean, otherwise, it's just deja vu all over again. Am I right, Mr. Riddick? I'm with you, Dan. Yeah. And <laughs> come on. Either that, either that, or let's take this off the agenda. Well, one thing, we, we could get an update on staffing, because I know the last time we talked about it, we had not filled all the positions. Right. No, but staff. Yes, we can staffing. Keep, we and, can keep charging people, yeah. and then they go to court, and they're given a pass. And we can keep doing this ad nauseum. And then we work. Well, we let's, also, let's work on it. That I, I think that seriously, Cindy, if you really think this is a no, non-starter, then let's know. But about has anybody it. done a legal uh, review of the current state code to see if there are any recommendations we can put on our legislative package, asking for strengthening of certain laws? I, I would say yes, and I would say that we have been the sponsors of a lot of significant legislation to uh, help us with code enforcement. One in particular was the prohibition of the board-ups. Um, I, I think that um, Cindy, who is one of the leaders in the prosecution, um, would, would tell you that she experiences great success um, and, and, and that it's coming, um, and maybe I've not been paying attention, as a surprise to me that we're of the opinion that a major obstacle in our code enforcement is how the judges rule on the prosecutions. Okay, great. No, I think Terry, what Terry, I think it's the delay in them. Eventually they do rule on it, but the M Star Motel is a great example of something that just took way too many times of going before a judge who um, gave multiple chances for the property owner to only to get the end result, which was demolition. The Bayview Motel was another one that burned down. That eight months it took us of getting after the, the owner kept on going in and saying, my grandmother passed away. I've been out of town for a month. When he came back, my, my niece died. I have to go to her funeral. I can't do a plan. I mean, somebody's always dying, and they, they can't present their new plans to the judge, and it just gets delayed and delayed. And I've heard that frustration, too. You and, know, and that maybe is, that we're exaggerating my, uh, uh, bigger things, I, I, but I, I think that's think what you're it, talking about. It's yes, an exaggeration. I talk about that, you know, the plans are presented. They say, okay, great. We're glad you've got plans. This will be done. Then six months later, no, plans haven't been done yet, but golly gee, we're going to do it now. My six architect later, is out of town. My yeah, lawyer is going to be here. It just goes on and on. And ne meanwhile, our neighborhoods deteriorate. Uh, and now I am cheered to hear you say that Cindy thinks we're making great strides. And maybe I'm, I haven't seen those great strides, and maybe I'm just not paying enough attention. If you can tell me that that's not happening anymore, then great. 
I, I, I'm not telling you that judges don't give continuances in cases. Right. And I realize there are reasons for those continuances. And continuances are in the discretion of the judge. Right. And we can and do argue against them. Um, but I, I do think continuances are an area where we might be able to, well, we can speak to the chief judge and, and say um, that we'd like for you all to undertake this as a topic, that, that uh, we here have evidence that uh, your delays in hearing cases are extending um, blight, and, and, and that we'd like for you to consider that and to try to uh, decrease the number of con continuances. So there are some things that we can do um, that uh, getting you information um, about the number of uh, citations and um, the number of convictions, the uh, length of time between the filing and the judge's ruling, I think would be good information. It would be good. Yeah, yeah so, so uh, we'll do that. And um, um, uh, we, if we can identify, if anybody is aware uh, of any um, legislation we should seek, that would be something else we can do and something we've done with some good success in the past. So we can work on it. Great. And right. Tommy's right. Obviously, filling positions is also an issue. Holy smokes. Okay. Mr. Manager. I'm done. You're done? Thanks, All right. Sir. You asked for it. See you upstairs. I did. Sunday. <laughs> Are you ready? I was done.